Welcome to Code Grays, an episode-by-episode recap of the Shonda Rhimes show, Grays Anatomy. I'm Teresa Rosado. And I'm Megan Totsky. Join us for Season 2, Episode 3, Make Me Lose Control. So Make Me Lose Control, not the Missy Elliott song. Yeah, who the hell is Eric Carmen? No idea, but I'm extraordinarily disappointed. Why is it not the Missy Elliott song? <laughs> it like, how do you know it's not? might not have been out yet. Oh. <laughs> it's entirely possible. That makes sense. But whatever, I'm just going to pretend that it's the Missy Elliott song, because yep. that song rules. Yep. <laughs> do you remember when she came on as the surprise performer in the Super Bowl? Oh. And Twitter was like, who's this chick Missy Elliott? Yes. <laughs> and everyone, like, 25 and older was like, this is amazing. It was, <laughs> they think Missy Elliott's a new artist. It's rare that the sort of 25 plus crew really gets to experience a true age gap between yeah. the like 18 to 25 crew because we all sort of get lumped together as millennials. It's true. And that was a moment, you know, it like was. that was a great moment of of separating the adults from the children. Yep, yep. <laughs> In a way that wasn't embarrassing, you know, that we could be proud of. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Summarize it for us. Let me get my timer. Oof. Oof. Three, two, one, go. All right. So Addison is still trying to make amends with Shepard, who's not having it. Ellis Gray comes into the hospital with diverticulitis, and Meredith is, of course, mortified. Um, Yang has an ectopic pregnancy after passing out in a surgery with Burke. So Burke finds out that she's pregnant and Meredith decides that it's too much work to hate Derek. So she kisses him instead. Stop. That's, that's all I have. <laughs> that was great. Very succinct. Very <laughs> succinct. I'm going to, I'm going to just say it up front. If I were rating this episode out of teardrops, it would get like one and a half. <laughs> Of just general, like, how how sad it is. the teardrop scale how sad it is, or just overall quality of episode? I think it's overall quality, but okay. it can double as how sad an episode is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this was a 1.5 on both counts. Yeah, you know, they kind of shoved this episode down your throat. Yes. You know, I do really enjoy the opening scene of Meredith and Yang running, <laughs> because yeah. it's like, Every woman and her friend everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like if you and I were to go for a jog. Right. It's definitely exactly how it would go. Yes. And like now that they've established this you're my person thing, you know, that they're, they're I don't know, they're sort of hammering us over the head with the, the best friend thing. And that's the, the running is very sort of on par with that, right? Like how many people have got, attempted to do some sort of exercise with their best girlfriend and what they really want to do is be drinking tequila on a couch somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they're really just like, why the fuck don't we have rosé? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and are we just... watching the Kardashians? This <laughs> right. is stupid. Right. <laughs> and they're just like calling each other sluts on a run. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, they really go all in on those insults. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. I appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, I read somewhere that this was supposed to be the season one finale episode, but oh. it got moved it got moved up because of the writer's strike. And I'm huh. really glad that it wasn't because I think the episode nine was actually really strong. Who's Zoom and Who? Yeah. And this would have been... There's... Like, no mystery at the end of the episode. I don't see how it would have worked as It would have been pretty finale. anticlimactic, particularly totally. as a season one, you know, a season one finale where you kind of need something punchy and big. And yeah. I think you're right that episode, the finale of episode one, that it ended, who's Zoom and who was really an excellent finale as we but Yeah. Interesting, though, that it was supposed to be. That would have been so boring. I know. <laughs> Frankly. I know. It's almost like, thank you, writer's strike. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so we start this episode out with Meredith and Christina on a jog, sort mm -hmm. of. <laughs> they jog like 30 feet and then collapse <laughs> onto some grass. Yeah, I think you had a good question. They have a conversation about, you know, has either of them cried yet about their res respective situations <laughs> and whether or not they would feel better, whether or not they should cry right now and sort of a mutual discomfort <laughs> with crying in general. <laughs> and I think you had a good question of... 
do you do you actually ever feel better when you cry? And you said no, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. I This comes up often, actually, because I many of my close girlfriends really are all about crying. Like, mm. just you just need to cry about it. Don't mm-hmm. hold it in. You're going to mm-hmm. feel great. Mm-hmm. I hate crying. It's yeah. the absolute worst. I don't I don't like it at all. I never feel better. I just feel sort of pathetic and embarrassed. (laughs) You know, I think that I also hate crying. I hate crying when, like, that's my body's response to a stimulus, Mm. right? You know, I hate when I get yelled at and I cry because of that. You know, like, that's that's an awful sort of response and I and I never feel better after that or when you get like really mad and then suddenly you're crying and you're like are you kidding me yes more often what happens to me when I cry is that I am very upset and some you know something has caused me to be really upset I get yelled at whatever it is I'm upset about um and that doesn't actually make me cry it's when somebody offers me a kindness shortly (laughs) thereafter when somebody says are you okay or is there anything I can do or you know I got you a cup of coffee because you, you know, you don't look well or something. You know what I mean? Some, yeah. some sort of like genuine act of kindness or kind words will put me into the crying zone because oh. it's just like the thing that will break it for me. And that never, I never feel better after that because I always feel pathetic. I will say the only kind of sort of therapeutic crying that I've experienced is like after like a really incredibly long day or, so, you know, something that's less in the moment, something yeah. that it's like sort of more on my terms, um, which I think is maybe what they're talking about here. Yeah, but I don't know. That's the only that's the only situation when I can think of that crying has has ever made me feel better is when it's <laughs> when it's completely in my control <laughs> and isn't an act of kindness from somebody. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just not my favorite thing. I was really on board with Yang, just being like, no, why would I cry? That's right. totally alien <laughs> right. to me. And it's you can see, you know, it's it's sort of uncomfortable to imagine them crying about each of these things. You know, <laughs> Meredith sort of cries later on in this episode, but it's uncomfortable to think of Yang. I can think of, you know, one or two times in the entire tenure of this show where she has cried. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I think she also probably has to deal with the same thing that I deal with, which is when you're a person who doesn't cry and you do cry, people's immediate response right. is like, are you crying? crying yep <laughs> which yep. makes you hate the act of crying even right more. <laughs> right it's because then people are, are calling out a thing that you hate right <laughs> yes. that happens to me too <laughs> you know because it's just people don't see that as a part of you and then it happens and it's the worst right <laughs> public crying is essentially like the worst thing i can imagine <laughs> oh yeah easily <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting stress hives thinking about it. <laughs> Speaking of stress hives. Yeah, are you blushing? (laughs) So Kelly Roche, which when I first heard them introduce this character, I thought they said her name was Kelly Rose. And I was like, that's just too much. Like, that's just a bridge too far. (laughs) Like rosacea and turning red. Anyway, she has, uh, did did you do some research about her disorder? I did, yeah. She essentially blushes, uh, like, over the top blushing, right? Like, her whole face turns red. She has what's called erythrophobia. Which is, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like a fear thing. It is. It is. Mm. It's a fear of blushing. And so she has that combined with hyperparexia, mm. which is the actual, like, persistent, over-the-top blushing. So she has a fear uh. of blushing combined with excessive blushing. And it seems like these two things sort of go together. Because yeah, the more you fear it, kind of the more you do it, and it just it's just this feedback loop Ugh. of hives. <laughs> and listeners, dear listeners, <laughs> I uh, have very fair skin and blush furiously, but more specifically, furiously. I get awful. It's adorable. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. That makes me feel really great about it. <laughs> Alex Karev. <laughs> you, you should. I was just talking to my family like a couple of nights ago. There's this swimmer. I've, we've been watching the Olympics every single day. <laughs> and there's this swimmer from Great Britain, Adam Peaty. And he blushes. He has super fair skin. And he blushes like just in the hollows of his cheeks. <laughs> like just that little patch in the hollows of your cheeks. Which uh-huh. happens very occasionally with super fair skinned men. And I was telling my family that for whatever reason, I find that so appealing. Like, 
Like, that is, like, extremely sexually appealing to me. <laughs> like, the rest of Adam Petey is fine. Like, he's he's a cute guy, whatever. But, mm, that blushing, I just, it kills me. It kills me. And it's not blushing. It's just, like, that's how his face colors when he's when he's warm or when he's you know he's out of breath or whatever mm-hmm. i love that on men anyway. that's like when somebody says i wish i had freckles <laughs> you know like okay you wish you had an adorable <laughs> smattering of freckles i get that coming from somebody who has freckles over her entire body <laughs> you know like i get it but you blush and you see how that feels i blush when like uh so i i blush as a um like a anxious response to things. Uh, and it happens to me on my chest. Right. Mm -hmm. So I used to, when I, when I'm like being put in a stressful situation or if I have to have like a confrontation or something like that, I will get red splotches over my entire chest up my neck and onto my face. And so it's not really even blushing as much as like giant red blotchy patches (laughs) over my skin. And I really, really sympathize with this particular patient because, um, or truly empathize with her, is that that you can't control that, right? Like, I don't have any say. If I'm feeling anxious, the whole world knows, right? I remember one particular time when I was in high school and I knew I was going into an evening where I I was, I don't know, I was knew that I was going to be in sort of a, a stressful situation. And so I wore a turtleneck because I didn't want to everybody to see, right? I knew I was going to have to talk about something uncomfortable. I, I figured out exactly what was going on. But, and I was, you know, I wore the turtleneck and I felt really great about it and it had long sleeves. And I remember looking down at my hands halfway through the night and there was red splotches crawling onto my hands oh, because no. I had like suffocated myself, you know, like my nervous system. And it was just, it was, you know, it's just a really tough, I really sympathize with this character. And, and when Karev and, and Gray say to her, is it really, you know, worth the risk for you to have this surgery to cure this? And she says, yes, it is. You know, I can't have any feelings that are my own. Uh, and as somebody who suffers from both blushing, not nearly as bad as this particular character, but also anxiety, it's really tough to, I, I don't know, I, I would absolutely do the surgery if I were her as well. And see, I, I fall into the camp of, you know, the non-blushing population. Mm -hmm. My skin is darker. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't really blush. I've never blushed in my life. So I definitely sort of watched her. And I thought of you the whole time. But I kind of was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Invasive surgery for this. I would do it in a heartbeat. Like no questions asked any sort of when she I love the moment when she recites all the side effects. Compensatory sweating of the back abdomen, thighs and legs, possible gustatory sweating. Horner syndrome occurs in less than one percent of patients. Brachial plexus injury, pneumothorax and hemothorax are highly unlikely, but possible side effects of the surgery. You did your homework. She says, yes, I know. And I'm going to do it. You know, I don't care that I'm going to sweat more or do this or do that or whatever it is. Yeah. Because it's so worth it. And hers is awful. Like her, it is her really blushing is, is truly, I'm interested actually, I wish that what I would have liked to have researched is this particular uh, actress. Did, you know, did she, how did they yeah. pr- portray this? I mean, it's pretty early in terms of like, if it was CGI or anything like that, if there was any sort of special effects going into it. Yeah. I actually Googled this because oh, that did was going to be my first line of inquiry because I, I love, you know, how stuff is made. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a podcast I listen to. <laughs> and, and so I Googled this and I couldn't find any, any answer to that question. It, I don't know. It looks like they got her really, really hot. Right. And then filmed. I don't know. And I think they probably did a lot of blush. Yeah. I don't know if they did any CG. If they yeah, did, or if it's it stop really motion good. or something. Yeah, I'm just not sure. It's fascinating to watch, though. I mean, she really does turn red very, very quickly. It's yeah. You know. And so and that's kind of all there is. I mean, she is sort of her her role as a patient in the show is. Once again, pointing out, she blushes every time Derek walks in the room, and it's or is mentioned. Bit... She can't right, even right, say his right. name. She cannot even say his name, and it's just. I like I like your point that the writers are maybe just trolling us <laughs> with with this with her sort of giant arrow pointing at how attractive Derek is. But she also there's a great moment where Meredith has is trying to escape her mother, and she or Derek or somebody and runs into into Kelly's room, and Kelly says, "You know, are you okay?" 
And Meredith says, oh, I should be asking you that. You know, it's this nice sort of yeah. mutual moment together, which I like. But other than that, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot to say about her. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't really, there's, there's nothing really else gone. Go yeah. On. Yeah. The patients in this episode are really, just really serve as symbols <laughs> for our doctors. Speaking of, <laughs> let's talk about the baby named Addison and Derek's marriage. It's too far gone. <laughs> Talk us through this baby. <laughs> so there's this preemie baby who comes in. I don't even remember the baby's name. I have the baby in my notes. As it doesn't baby. have a baby. It's abandoned. Oh. <laughs> like their marriage. Oh, dang. Yes. That's right. Yes. That's right. And she's been, she's hooked on narcotics. So it would be really sad, except <laughs> the baby so obviously just serves as an extended metaphor for what the shepherds are going through in their marriage. <laughs> and like Addison really wants Derek to perform this operation on the baby. She's like, she's like, no, this this baby slash marriage can still be saved. And Derek's like, she slash our marriage is too far gone. <laughs> you have to let her slash our marriage go. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I can't talk. I'm choking on this metaphor. <laughs> That's how far down my throat it's being shoved. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not great. And I think your point is totally right that the treatment plan for the baby is is bullshit like because at first he kind of seems uninterested in in performing surgery on this baby because he's Slash uninterested on in the marriage like <laughs> so he's like i'm gonna let this baby die just to spite you <laughs> and then he changes his mind and it's also really awkward because it makes it seem like like you said that he's just making a concession yes. to Addison. He literally says the line, "Tell you what." <laughs> Tell you what. If she makes it through the night, if she has a little bit more strength, we'll operate. If she's stronger in the morning, we could operate. <laughs> like that's his professional opinion. You know, he's like glanced at the baby and seen she's still alive and says, "Tell you what." <laughs> You know, it's just awful. It's awful. And Addison's like, yay, my marriage. <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's after it's, she uh, had already told the chief when the chief is like, well, what about the preemie? <laughs> Addison, like, looks meaningfully at the chief and just goes, I'm letting her go. <laughs> Flash my marriage. <laughs> Oh, God, it's just insufferable. It's an insufferable case. <laughs> yeah. So, like, let that be a caution to you that if you don't have any family or friends to take care of you or to advocate on your behalf in a hospital, like, it could just be up to the whims of your surgeon's personal lives. Your world-renowned surgeon's personal yep. lives and marriages. <laughs> so. Like, whether or not you get a surgery could come down to if the surgeon's having a good day or not. <laughs> right. So. That is horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> really building trust in our medical professionals. Right. Grey's Anatomy. That's Thank right. you. And that's all I have to say about the baby. Yeah, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's the it. whole point of the baby. Extended metaphor baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the raging, horrible bitch that is Ellis Grey. This is sort of we've been building to this, right? There's it's yes. it's clear that something Meredith is keeping Ellis totally a secret except for Derek. And and it's clear that this is sort of gonna come come into play. And she comes in, she has diverticulitis, and she comes rolling in on this uh gurney. And I love what you had said, right? That this scene, it just looks like something out of a horror film. Who is the woman who plays Ellis Gray? Yeah, I just looked that up. Kate Burton. Who she is, is phenomenal. Just absolutely outstanding. She's such a good actress and she nails this role. Uh, and just from, you know, I think the earlier scenes, I think she does a nice job of playing Ellis Gray sort of in the home. But I think that when you see this rage that she has, it's it's really, really horrifying. Oh, it's so scary. It's yeah. so scary. And she's screaming and she's like rattling the gurney and she's screaming at everyone. And Meredith just completely just cowers in on herself and runs away in fear in the way that we all want to yeah 
And I didn't finish my sentence. I noticed here. Yeah, you I just said, <laughs> and the way Meredith just hides gives the impression that, and then I just go, yang, lol, lol, lol. <laughs> so what I, what I wanted to say is that the way Meredith just immediately runs away and literally hides from the situation unfolding in front of her just totally gives the impression that this has happened before, probably in her childhood on multiple occasions yep. with Ellis home in a towering rage and Meredith just hiding from her. It's just a really sad moment. I feel like it's a flashback to like baby gray or yes. something No, you know, that she grew up right. in a sort of abusive household, not mm-hmm. physically abusive, but I think yeah. certainly verbally. Well, certainly. And then, cause that's what she sees Meredith and whips around at her and says, what are you doing here? You know, what are, I told you not to bother me at work. And right. you just see that, that interaction is just, I, I think that's a really good good point. It's a real it's a total snapshot of her earlier life and their yeah. relationship. It's it's just it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. And of course, so Ellis Gray comes in for diverticulitis, but she's she has Alzheimer's and she's completely disoriented. She thinks that she's still, you know, Dr. Ellis Gray. And so she comes into the hospital as though she's coming into her workplace and she right. can't understand why people won't let her just go about her work and prep for surgery, et cetera, et cetera. And so that just adds to her rage and her confusion. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think it's interesting that they bring her to Seattle Grace. I could really see an argument either way, right? That she should go there because it's a, it's where she used to work. It's sort of her second home in a lot of ways. But I also think that can, that's, that could be risky. You know, she's, she's clearly really confused being at a place that was her workplace for years and years and years, you know, or at least where she did her training early on. I don't know. I just think it's, it's yeah. sort of an interesting thing. They're obviously for the show's sake going to bring her there, but I think that's an interesting professional choice to bring her to where her daughter were. I don't know. It's just, it feels right. it's like, like if you want to disorient her even right. more, exactly. this is a great plan. And then there's this like awful <laughs> What I think is just like really over the top, ridiculous, sort of absurd scene where Meredith runs to the locker room and all of her intern friends are standing there yelling from the doorway, screaming like insensitive comments at Meredith. <laughs> and Yang says, Hey, Meredith, you know, um, my great grandmother, she died with Alzheimer's. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> Again, Izzy, like the only person who understands how to carry on interpersonal relationship. Yep. <laughs> and George, so Bailey and Bailey sort of, you know, lays down the gauntlet, you know, lays down the gauntlet and says, go back to work. You cannot help her. You all have jobs to do and sort of hands out assignments and says to George, you can you can take Dr. Gray. And he says, Thank you. And gives Bailey a hug because, of course, he thinks that she's talking about Meredith and Bailey's actually talking about Dr. Ellis Gray. And it's a, I think it's just so fucking hilarious. I just love that moment because I feel like the writers are almost in on us hating George. Yeah, you know? yeah. It feels like at this point that they're just like, yeah, we know. So here's some more fodder. Exactly. For your hatred. Exactly. Exactly. So he gets assigned to Ellis and he... Ellis thinks that he's Thatcher, her husband, Meredith's father. Awkward. Be awkward. (laughs) And he cannot give Ellis an exam. She won't, she won't let him and he cannot deal with her. He cannot talk to her. He can't. Yeah, he can't get control of the situation. No, exactly. That's exactly right. And so who does he call but his (laughs) resident intern tutor? (laughs) Alex Karev. And I love this scene when Alex totally crushes this exam. He does an excellent, I, at least I think he does a great job. Yeah. You know, he's got great bedside manner. He speaks to Ellis as a professional, sort of as a, not even a peer, as a, a uh, you know, a mentee. And with a lot of sort of respect for her and just completely crushes it, you know, says, we just have to do this. It's part of the, you know, bureaucrat, bureaucratic bullshit at the hospital or whatever. And she's like, oh, all right, let's get it over with. And, and sort of, I don't know. I just think it's a great, it makes him a great doctor in that moment. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And George is just watching him in, in total awe. Like, yep. how is he doing this? And it's like, <laughs> well, it's pretty easy, George. And, and I mean, George is definitely at a disadvantage because Ellis thinks that George is Thatcher, her husband. Right. And it becomes quite clear quite quickly that Ellis Gray loathes Thatcher. Yes. yes. Just yes. hates Thatcher with her whole 
shriveled heart. Yes. yes. And it's, it, which is tough to watch. And you feel for George a little bit that he's in love with Meredith and now realizes, and then the chief totally validates it, right? He sees, <laughs> he sees George and George says, she thinks I'm Thatcher. And the chief takes a moment and kind of like cocks his head at George and says, you do kind of look like Thatcher, <laughs> you know? There's a definite resemblance there. <laughs> right. And you just sort of feel for George in that moment of, he just can't get a break. And he doesn't deserve one, but it's a little funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really heartbreaking storyline for Meredith. Her big secret is out, and it's kind of the theme of this episode, is that it, it feels like all of our characters, our interns at least, are, are really good friends, and they're a part of a team together, and, you know, they're these sort of comrade-in-arms, and... That's not at all the case. Like, no one outside of Derek knew about Meredith's mother. Not even Yang knew about Meredith's mother. And then, of course, there's Yang herself, who's been keeping her own huge secret this Mm -hmm. entire time. And Mm. and that all comes out this episode in hugely dramatic fashion. Yes. (laughs) Classic craze. And, well, what I think is, just as a very brief aside... I think Izzy is quite endearing in this episode (laughs) because her feelings are so hurt that she doesn't know what's going on. You know, like all she cares about, like all she wants is these close personal friendships and wants to feel known and loved. And like, everybody's just sort of happy and together. And she feels like there's all these secrets and she's just, she's just so sad about it. (laughs) She's really bummed out. And she has this great moment with Bailey where they're in the gallery watching in operation. And Bailey is, asks Izzy, you know, did you know, about Ellis Gray, about Meredith's mom, and Izzy, you know, says no, <laughs> and then just really petulantly is like, "You think you know someone?" Yes. As if like the big issue here, is right? Meredith did not confide in Izzy, rather exactly. than the big issue being that Meredith has been taking care of her yes. completely. It's out of so it, funny. Yep. Or that Yang didn't share that she was pregnant, right, with a baby she didn't want and an abortion she's trying to get. You know? It's very... But no, the big issue, Izzy didn't know about Nobody it. Nobody told Izzy and her feelings are hurt. It's because, you know, Izzy wants that juice made and she's, no one's given it to her. Which, you know, I respect. Yeah, fair. I'd be pissed too. I would too. And I would recognize that it's not about me, but still... So anyway, so Yang uh, faints during surgery with Burke. She's, I, I did a little bit of research. It turns out she has an ectopic pregnancy in which, you know, the, the baby is not developing where it needs to be uh, in the uterus. And so what I think is a little bit funny about this is that I was reading about ectopic pregnancies and there are three signs that you're having an ectopic pregnancy, three sort of classic symptoms, which are abdominal pain, lightheadedness slash sweating and shoulder pain. And it's pans to Yang in the operating room while Burke is is operating and she's observing. And she's like, you can see sweat on her brow. And then you see that she's a little woozy. And then you see her sort of grab. And it's sort of going back and forth to Yang, to the surgery Yang. And every time it goes back to her, she has like one more of these symptoms. And she grabs her shoulder and then she passes out. And it's just sort of like classic signs. It's just It was just sort of a overly, you know, it's like someone, some intern somewhere on the show looked up signs of ectopic pregnancy and wrote Yang's stage directions. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's and just it was a funny just like thing. checking off boxes. Exactly, exactly. All right, we got everything we needed. And faint, <laughs> you know. You know, that's actually that's actually really interesting because I had wondered why Yang was grabbing her shoulder. Mm-hmm. I noticed it this episode. Yeah. And I was like, that's weird. Like, is she sore from the run? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And when I was, I had the same thought. And then when I was reading the symptoms, I was like, oh, they're just checking off the list from the that's Mayo Clinic hilarious. website. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. Because uh, I'm I'm so sure that like ectopic pregnancies are always that cookie cutter in their exactly. Symptoms. <laughs> exactly. I'm so sure. So she faints, and Burke is of course extremely worried and cannot communicate to anybody why he's so worried. He says, "No, she's my intern, and not I'm in love with her." <laughs> it's <laughs> extremely awkward. It's very uncomfortable. He's really cannot figure out how to communicate to really anyone at all (laughs) and so she gets sort of rushed in and Addison's sort of got a foot out the door and gets called in and and Christine or I'm sorry Izzy has to explain to Addison that she's pregnant and everybody's 
sort of freaking out. She's got an ectopic pregnancy and Burke sort of tragically finds out by walking by the board, the surgical board, and sees that Yang has been scheduled to have a, uh, that she has an ectopic pregnancy. And that's how he finds out that she's pregnant, uh, which is like, that's a heartbreaking moment. You know, he's, he's so concerned about her and he's trying to carry on with her day, cannot talk to her, can't talk to anybody about how he's worried about her and finds out from the surgical board. Which is sad. Yeah. <laughs> That's a sad it's, moment. <laughs> it's pretty damn sad. I kind of, before we get into the Burke sort of response to all of this, though. So we find out how far along Yang is <laughs> in her pregnancy. And it's seven weeks. Yep. So she's been trying to get an abortion for, what, probably five weeks? Almost an entire trimester, to be but, clear. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yep. It's ridiculous. I it's I know that that's like not the point of her storyline, but it was as, really all I could think about. It's really really tough. I'm telling you it's like so oh it's awful. It's yeah. awful. And I think that you made a good point. Do you want to talk a little bit about sort of the critique at the time that you remember about the critique of this particular response to Yang's pregnancy? Yeah, so I remember back when this episode aired, I I remember a conversation around not having uh, the choice to not have Yang go through with the abortion. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to deal with it in an ectopic pregnancy. And kind of everyone expected that. Everyone was like, well, gosh, I wonder how she's going to miscarry. Mm-hmm. Because there there hadn't been a televised abortion on, at this point. Right. I think there had been one in like... 90210. You know what? I'm not sure. going to say anything about it and I'll address it on the next episode once <laughs> okay. I actually find out. But but it's a super rare occurrence to the point that it's so rare as to be almost non-existent. Right. And so no one expected the show to go through with the abortion. And then of course, 7 weeks into the pregnancy, they chose to go with essentially a miscarriage. Right. And and people were upset by that, and they were disappointed by it. And I I kind of have to agree that it's it's disappointing that they went the safe route with yeah. the storyline, especially because in Yang they had such a perfect character to take on an abortion storyline. Like yes. you had a character who had her mind completely made up about the pregnancy. She had excellent reasons for making that choice. There didn't have to be any sort of uh, drama or angst, right. I guess would be a better word. It It's just, it would happen, you know? It was she, a perfect she, space for it. Yes. She lined up Meredith to be her sort of support system. Meredith was on board with this decision. So it could have been a really great moment for, for, I guess like narratives for women characters on television, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of just losing the baby or deciding to go through with the pregnancy or, or whatever, you know, going with the option that so many women end up taking and they never, you know, they never get to see that representation representation in media. Well, what, let me ask you then, do you think if if this were modern day, if Grey's was airing its first season in 2016, do you think that they would have gone through with the abortion? Like, do you think that the show has changed enough and times have changed enough and perceptions of abortions have changed enough? Well, that's a tough one because so so we get into spoiler territories. Right. So I, so I won't say who or when, but but they do. They go through with an right. abortion. And, right. And it's like they make up for it, you know. I don't know, four seasons later. Right. Or three or four seasons later. Right. And I appreciated it and it and I thought it was powerful and it was handled quite well. I actually am very fond of that storyline when we get to it in like yes. five years. Yeah. Right. <laughs> See you then. <laughs> so I think I think that was definitely a mark of that the maybe less a mark that times had changed and more a mark of Shonda's power, right? That she, she had the, the, she had the authority on. and the power to say, "This is the storyline I want for this character," and and that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So we're done. <laughs> no, no conversation about it. Whereas maybe she didn't have that uh, with 
with Yang in this storyline. I'm not sure if it was an executive decision from ABC or if Shonda already always had this as the plan. Yeah. But either way, it was just kind of disappointing. Yeah, and 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 I I agree that it is disappointing. I think that there's probably a lot of reasons for why they went the route that they did. And again, we don't know why they executive wise why they did it. And I think that they really played it up that. Yang with the the small conversation between Yang and Gray when she says don't you think you should tell Burke and Yang says no it's done he's never going to know he's not even going to be a blip on my radar it's just done like I don't want him to ever know but I think that one of the reasons they went the miscarriage route I, I think it's more of a convenience than anything else is that it was a way for Burke to find out and we needed Burke to find out, right? That was yeah. clear that Burke was always going to find out from the show's perspective. But I think that doing it this way caused him to find out in like a, a more sort of natural way that didn't involve Yang having to tell him because we knew she was never going to and we also knew he was ultimately going to find out. And so it was just sort of a matter of how that was going to unfold. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can definitely see someone in the writer's room being like, you know, wouldn't it be just so dramatic and so heartbreaking if Burke was looking at the surgical board and sees Yang's name and sees this procedure, you know, like Mm -hmm. you can kind of see someone writing backwards from that point. Exactly. This is how I imagine this character finding out and then writing backwards. Right, right, right. And so, you know, I'm here for that. I think it is a really great dramatic moment, and Mm -hmm. it leads to a scene that you and I apparently really disagree on in terms of how it was received. But it's still sort of from a a feminist standpoint, you know, it would have been nice for the show to kind of have the courage to go there when when so many women, again, are making that choice for themselves, and it's a choice fraught with just so much tension and so much disapproval and shame. And it would have been nice to show that it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. For a show that we really rely on for a lot of kinds of representation that we don't see elsewhere in the media at this time. You know, I think that it would have been, I I completely agree. Should we talk quickly about the Burke scene? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's this other case that's just sort of going on in the background. He's uh, owns a dry clean. The guy owns a dry cleaning. He's a dry cleaner. He's been inhaling fumes for years and he has some sort of cardiothoracic issue. And his, I don't know, literally don't know anything else about it. No. He's just a phone in case. He's just dry cleaning guy. But I don't know. What happens is he, during surgery, his aortic or his heart lining tears, Burke has to repair it. And when he wakes up, it was supposed to be sort of a routine, a semi-routine procedure. And Burke, he wakes up and it's sort of at the end of the episode, he has found out about Yang and he's talking to this guy in sort of a dark room just as he's waking up. And he says, you know, what happened? And he says, well, things got a little bit complicated and in the lining of your heart. He uses all this medical jargon and the patient clearly doesn't understand. He says, I don't understand. Can you explain it? And Burke <laughs> is, is like, has to take off his glasses because it's clear he's getting choked up. And he says, what it means is that you've your heart was literally breaking or you literally had a broken heart or something like that. Yeah. You can insert the audio there. (laughs) It means, uh, it means that you you had a broken heart, literally. And and excuses himself. And my reaction to this (laughs) was to like double over in discomfort and let out a large guffaw because it's so... (laughs) scripted and uncomfortable you're so heartless i know but like it's so stupid i'm sorry (laughs) you're stupid you literally had a broken heart like me because yang didn't tell me she was pregnant and i dumped her i think that you let out at the same time that you let out a hearty guffaw (laughs) i let out a hearty I'm getting soft, man. You I was, are getting soft, and yeah. I'm getting very hard. <laughs> I'm just going to use that as an out-of-context audio clip. <laughs> A preview clip for our episode. That'll get us some interest. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. No, I I was really, you know, I was affected. I I have to say, I was moved in that moment. I thought that... I thought that Isaiah Washington played it quite well. And and it was sad, you know. I don't I felt sympathy for him even though, you know, it's his own fault for sort of 
as we said, unilaterally ending this relationship that he clearly was not ready to end. So, you know, you broke your own heart, dude. (laughs) But it was still, it was sad. I felt sad. I think it was pathetic. (laughs) I guess I, I, I guess I should say that to me, the reason that I think that it was pathetic is because I felt like this whole episode was shoved down my throat. And so for him to say that was like, all right. Just stop. Like, just stop, you know? <laughs> the writers were really, really on the nose this episode. Just, yeah, just they went too, all out. too much. Too much for me. Yeah, yeah. I will I will definitely give you that. So after a particularly, I don't know, melodramatic or maudlin episode, <laughs> right. I could see that being sort of the, the last straw. <laughs> it was for me. That's exactly nope, right. Nope, we're done here. <laughs> all right. What else do we have here? Oh, let's talk about quickly. Can we talk about Meredith and Alex real quick? Yeah. I really like that. I love that scene. So there's this, you know, we're sort of trying to see Izzy chip away at Alex and they've sort of developed this friendship, but he's a huge dick to everyone else. And she's trying to convince everybody that he's not so bad. And, and Meredith. Which, just as an aside, (laughs) let me, let me get out some Izzy feelings before we get into Meredith and Alex. Izzy is just, I, so did you watch The Bachelorette? I didn't, although I will tell you that I'm now very invested in Bachelor in Paradise. Oh, <laughs> so, good. so am I. <laughs> as an aside. So I would like to just say that I I won the the Bachelorette pool that I was playing in. Mm. I picked I picked Jordan Rogers mm. as JoJo's final guy. Mm-hmm. And Izzy Stevens is like proto JoJo. <laughs> She's like JoJo before JoJo was even out of high school. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like JoJo in The Bachelorette, like, she just, she picked a bad guy on the heels of always picking bad guys. And she was so insecure for this whole season of The Bachelorette that by the end of the season, I started out really liking JoJo. And by the end of the season, I wanted to drown her. <laughs> Because I was just like, what happened to you that you are like this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who hurt you to make you this way? Yeah. And that is honestly how I feel about Izzy. Like, she's so insecure. And she's so like, no, this guy is horrible to everyone else. But they don't see what I see. And that is like textbook unhealthy relationship 101. Like yep. No, nope, 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 nope. That is never, ever a good sign. <laughs> and you know that there's women out there in 2006 when they saw this error and fell for Alex for all of the same reasons. Oh my God, yes. I am like, looking at you, Colleen Moody. <laughs> yes, yes. And so that's just how I feel with Izzy is like, I just, yeah. I want to know who hurt her. Who did this to you? Mm-hmm. You're so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You're so smart. You could have anyone in the world. Yep. And instead you want to pick the guys who don't really want you. Like, that's painful. That's really hard for me. And then on top of it all, she's so insecure that she wants she wants acceptance from the rest of her friend group. Like, it's right. so important <laughs> to her that they see the good in Alex. And it's like, girl, if you want to take his pants off and get it on, like, you should just do that. Like, if right. that's going to make you happy, you should do it. And it doesn't really matter what these, like, quasi-strangers think about it. <laughs> You know what I mean? And it was the same thing. I swear to God, it was the same thing watching JoJo and The Bachelorette. I was like, stop worrying about what other people think. Like, if you think this terrible dude is the one for you, great. Like, just go for it instead of breaking down at the end of every episode because everyone else hates this guy and you just can't understand why. (laughs) Right, right. Which I think in what I think is interesting here is is how we see Izzy develop over the course of the second season. It's a pretty big season for her. And and she had a pretty she was one of the more minor roles I think in the first season. There was a lot of focus obviously on Meredith, but I think that it is interesting to see how Izzy's relationship with Alex develops and relationships with other characters and sort of how that changes, you know, and that she is sometimes aware of of her own sort of insecurities and shortcomings and failures, but also, you know, how she tries to proactively change them. So I I am looking forward to sort of digging into her character more as the season goes on. Yeah, I think she's 
I think she's off to a really slow start. I yes. think that George yes. and Izzy are on the back burner right now. Absolutely. And, and so it's kind of painful, particularly to watch Izzy. I mean, George is just a waste of everyone's time. Right. But it's painful with Izzy because I felt like she had some great moments in season one. Yeah. And in season two, I haven't gotten anything out of her. She's just kind of in the background, you know, being a appalled <laughs> by everything yes. happening around her. Yes. Yes. And I, I do think that if my memory serves me correctly, it's sort of the arc of her character in the second season is just, I don't know, we, I think we just get a little bit more about her, yeah uh, which I'm looking forward to sort of meeting up her character, you know, giving a little bit more substance to her character. Same, same. I'm ready because I definitely left season one being like, oh, Izzy, like Izzy's got some good stuff going on. Catherine right. Heigl has a really great performance. I'm yeah. excited to see this develop. And then season two has not really picked picked that up no. so far they've really they've really highlighted alex which i've also enjoyed but yeah i'm kind of ready for some izzy time at yeah point, they jump-started is, his we talked about this last yeah, week that they yeah that they sort of jump-started his arc and we see that more in this so let's talk quickly about exactly. alex i think you're exactly right that her arc is off to a very slow start and they really sort of jump-started him yeah so he is being you know situationally kind to people you know like a crazy person and <laughs> And he says to Meredith, you know, I, I can't I can't believe you're still standing. If you ever need to talk, I'm an asshole. Nobody believes what I say anyway. So you might as well talk to me if you want to. And she sort of takes him up on that. Yeah. And she says she says to him. Seems legit. Yeah, which I really respect. You know, Meredith really has a, a sense. For, <laughs> she's got good timing in that way, which I appreciate. But she says to him, I, I wish I'm sort of hoping my mom has cancer. You know, it would take her out quickly or something. And he's like, yeah, it would. And sort of understands that from implicitly right away. And and I like their friendship. I think that they are both really self-aware in that, in that conversation. And they sort of meet each other in the middle in a way that you don't often see with relationships in this show. Uh, and, I, and I just, I don't know. I like that. I like that moment. It's also sort of representative of, of a relationship between those two without giving anything away. But I see it, it's sort of satisfying to see this so long ago to see just a tiny little speck of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. We've talked about the show sort of seeding different relationships and character arcs. And this is one that I, I also so appreciate. And I think that Alex and Meredith are really closed off in similar ways. Mm -hmm. I think that Meredith and Yang, as as great of friends as they are, they're not particularly similar. You know, they're, right. they're kind of dislike people. Mm -hmm. But I think that Meredith and Alex have a lot in common. And the way they handle sort of their their upbringing and their, you know, their very painful childhoods and sort of familial dynamics is just really similar. And, and that leads to some great conversations between the two of them. And Alex has a great line to Meredith. You know, she he asks, how are you doing? And she says, I'm fine. And he goes, you've said that word so many times today, it doesn't even sound like a word anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I just think that's that's really true, that that's, she does that thing so well of just, you know, kind of shrugging. It's fine. I'm fine. Right. And it it the episode ends with her finding out that her her mother does not, in fact, have cancer. And she walks away from... Izzy and George asking Meredith, are you okay? And she goes, no, I'm not okay. And I like to think that, you know, she kind of internalized her conversation with Alex. Yeah. And like she's able to have like a genuine emotional reaction to something for a change. Yeah. Sort of like he gave her the green light to, to feel something and that yes. it was okay to not be okay. Coming from a guy who's got an exterior 10 miles thick you know exactly so yeah. it, it's sort of nice I like that I think that's exactly right I, I've continued to be really satisfied with Alex's character so far Agreed. with with sort of his you know where we see him going agreed uh but he does also call a nurse nurse ratchet this episode right <laughs> so. and his I mean even his a lot of ups and downs yeah but I think that even his correctness I was this is and maybe I'm just getting too nitpicky about this particular episode, but I felt like even those interactions of him being a dick to people were shoved down our throat. They were almost yeah. sort of hyperbolic of his usual assholeness, if yeah. you will. You know, so I think that when he said that to the nurse, I was like, yeah, Alex is a dick, but like he would never say something 
like that seven episodes ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I felt I felt like they were just trying to make it over the top to really highlight how rude he could be. <laughs> well, in that particular scene was so ridiculous because he right. had literally just pulled an eyelash off of Izzy's face and was in the middle of saying, make a wish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a nurse go by, goes by and he's like, hey, nurse Ratchet, we got a dead guy <laughs> stinking up room 104. <laughs> yes. And you're like, okay. <laughs> They're just really We get us. it. Exactly. We get it. Not the most well written episode. Are we ready for bits? Yeah. I'm okay. so ready for bits. Great. Let's do, let's do the bits. Okay. Song of the week. I feel like Fools in Love, right? It's yeah. got to go to yeah, Fools in Love. Yeah, that's what I picked. Uh, by Inara George, who I, I like her quite a bit. It's a good song. I think you're right that it did go on too long. I think we heard almost the entirety of the song. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was a good song. I was like, oh, wow. Song. They, they're still going with yeah. the song. Okay. All right. <laughs> Are there any other? Uh, but I like that song. I thought it was well-placed. It was a good montage song, like you said. And it's, I don't know. It was just nice. I like it. Yeah. Good song. Good placement. Yeah. I was not super into the songs this week. They all kind of sounded yeah. pretty similar to me. But this song was nice. It was good. It was, you know. There was a nice uh, classical music, like background pla- classical music that played at some point. And I almost thought about looking it up to figure out what song that yeah. was because I really enjoyed that. <laughs> anyway. We're getting but older. We're we like, are oh, getting that's older. That's a really nice arrangement. That's right. <laughs> Time of death. Uh, death tally, just the the fetus, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one ectopic fetus, and you said Meredith's spirit. Um, oh yeah, I think the the one remaining shred. <laughs> yeah. When she has that monologue with Derek out in the in the rain when she kisses him, which we didn't really talk about, it didn't feel all that important. I, it, no. It sounds loaded, but it really wasn't. Yeah. I, I think that that's sort of when we see the very last when she admits that every single part of her life is falling apart and <laughs> she's so exhausted. I just felt like there was a little. A little tiny shred of spirit dying in that moment. 007. 007, yep. 007, I mean, it's gotta... George. It's gotta go to George. He I'm couldn't sorry. do a checkup. It was a checkup. He literally just needed to, like, to take Ellis's pulse. <laughs> a basic medical exam. Yeah. And he could not do it. He had to and give once it to again, somebody else. had to ask Alex for help. It was syphilis yeah. all over again. <laughs> not good, George. And why does he keep going to Alex? Like... Because Alex is a good doctor. <laughs> I know, but Alex is also the one who's going to give him the most shit. Like, I know. That's really true. That's on George. Come on, man. <laughs> You're just making your life even harder for yourself. Yes. Um, we were actually pretty pretty in agreement on most of our Yeah, I think week. we were. Uh, so I think that going down to chief resident, Bailey was an excellent doctor in this episode. She was so I think great. She is the chief resident in this episode. She has five interns who are all going through all sorts of shit and she handles this is not part of the job description i'm no, pretty sure not at all not at all and she you know she stands at christina's head when she's going through surgery and touches her head and just stands with her while she's going through the dnc she coaches meredith appropriately asks for what help she needs is a responsible manager a responsible sort of supervisor of her her job and also sort of a, a a good mentor generally in that situation. She de- she speaks to Izzy with respect. I don't know. I just think she overall does a great job with every single fire that she's encounters. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree. She's empathetic where she needs to be. She's stern where she needs to be. Yeah. Uh, she's just, they couldn't really ask for a better superior. Yeah. She's really excellent. It was a great, a great episode for her, I think. Yeah. Karev of the week. Derek <laughs> continues to be sort of the federal Karev. Yes. I think. Yeah. But I, <laughs> You know, I don't even care that she has Alzheimer's. It doesn't matter. Ellis Gray is yeah. a bitch. And she's the asshole of the week. She's easily the Karev of the week. She's horrible to every single person that she encounters. Yep. Yep. She really is. Except she's... for except for Dr. Preston Burke, who? who she describes as a beautiful man and who she thinks is Richard Weber. Yep. So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Suspicious, if you ask me. <laughs> Not that they're trying to beat us over the head with it or anything. No, no. <laughs> you are a beautiful man. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. She's not, to be honest. But she is has earned herself the crib of the week. Yeah, yeah. She's awful. Oh yeah. my god, she's 
awful. She's true. She's really scary. <laughs> Should we do medical fact? Yeah, let's go into the medical fact of the week. It was a weird week for the show, I felt, because yeah. I felt like they threw out a lot of medicine, you know, like, oh, Ellis Gray has diverticulitis. Oh, you know, Yang is is dealing with an extra uterine or ectopic pregnancy. And they didn't really tell you what those things were. <laughs> yeah, because they were too busy shoving metaphors down her throat. Yeah, totally, totally. Like, the metaphors mattered much more than the medicine. Yeah. So we thought we would just do a couple sort of quick facts about each of these, about a couple different things. So yeah. I looked into ectopic pregnancies, which are uh, not super common. Uh, it's about, I, this is thanks to the Mayo Clinic, has a, a wonderful sort of uh, page about, about ectopic pregnancies. They essentially happen about, in about... If you'd like to do some casual reading. Yeah, about... <laughs> I do love the Mail. I love the Mail Clinic. I love their their website. is really beautiful. It's like <laughs> the better too. version of WebMD. <laughs> I do too. We should do like a tour of the Mail Clinic. Oh, I would so do that. <laughs> 20 in every thousand pregnancies are ectopic. Ectopic essentially means extrauterine, like you said. A fertilized egg is supposed to, of course, attach itself to the uterine wall. And ectopic pregnancy is when it attaches itself to literally anywhere else. Uh, this can be a, a sort of a, a myriad of different places. It can be in the most commonly is the fallopian tube, which is called a tubal pregnancy. Otherwise, it can be in the ovary. It can be actually in the abdomen, which I really, really don't understand and was too afraid to research how it escapes the female reproductive system and causes her abdomen. <laughs> Just wandering. It's like a flight egg. risk, you know, exactly. Um, or also terrifying in the cervix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so lots of different things can cause it, you know, fertility issues, sort of structural issues. If you have sort of a wonky fallopian tube, it's more common that a... Is that the technical it term? It is the technical term. <laughs> I'm sorry, ma'am. You have what appears to be a wonky fallopian tube. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Smoking can cause it. Uh, UT, uh, UTIs. Yeah. U UTIs? No, that's it. No. <laughs> IUDs. I mean, those me. suck too. But... <laughs> also really, really suck. IUDs, it's very, very rare that you can get pregnant when you have an IUD, an intrauterine device, is contraceptive. But one of the ways, typically if you do get pregnant when you have an IUD, it is an ectopic pregnancy. And it's really, really dangerous because it's they're not viable pregnancies. In no situation are they viable right. pregnancies. But the fetus does continue to grow and inevitably will rupture wherever it is. So yeah. most commonly, of course, in the fallopian tube, it ruptures the fallopian tube and it leads to bleeding, just intense, yeah. intense bleeding, which is, of course, what happened to Christina. She was she had lost a lot of blood, but of course, not a not a critical amount. So if they are not caught, they are fatal. So right. ectopic pregnancies always so they will inevitably rupture. So they, they are scary, but not, you know, they're certainly treatable. But they do, I think it is important to know that they are not viable pregnancies in, in any way, shape, or form. I was I was just going to emphasize that, that, yeah. you know, it's important to note that this pregnancy was, was always going to end up this way. Like, right. as soon as the egg attached itself where it wasn't supposed to be, this pregnancy was going to, to end this way. And exactly. I think that's important in the scene with Bailey and Meredith. You know, Meredith says, I I talked her into going on a mm -hmm. run this morning. Like, could that have, you know, caused this? And Bailey very clearly lays out, you know, that that, that wasn't even a consideration that this this pregnancy was, was never going to go to term. No, no. Oh. Which I think is is valuable for her yeah. for this particular storyline. So that's about all I got. I thought it would just be kind of interesting to run through sort of the basics of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, of course, I did, as we hinted about earlier, I did a little uh, look into what this what this girl is suffering from, Kelly, the one who blushes all the time. Mm -hmm. And I actually found it looks like Vice did an article on this uh, not too long ago in December oh. of 2014. When you're embarrassed of being embarrassed, you have erythrophobia. And they talk about, you know, erythrophobia as uh, a, a social anxiety that is relatively common and that it can be super debilitating. It's interesting because it seems it seems as though it's misdiagnosed a lot. So mm. it's misdiagnosed as rosacea often mm -hmm. when, when it in fact isn't. Rosacea is a different situation that causes a sort of chronic pink or red uh, on the cheeks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a phobia, but with, with, that's treatable. It's a treatable phobia, which is right. strange How to is, me. Yeah. 
And so basically the way they do it is also strange. They, you know, so they do ETS, the endoscopic thoracic sympathectomy. Okay. And, and so what they do is they, they make a couple of cuts underneath one arm and cut, they find the nerve that, that controls sweating and, and they cut or like destroy that nerve. And then, and then they, you know, sort of reinflate your lung because they had to collapse that lung uh, so that it's not moving while they're actually in there. Uh, so they reinflate the lung and close you up and, and that's it. That's the whole, that's the whole surgery is, is, you know, that wow. clip. And you can eventually, you know, if you, found that your compensatory your compensatory sweating was too much in your abdomen or or somewhere else mm-hmm. you can you can actually have the procedure reversed but that's super rare that's most people are are really happy with with really? the ETS procedure yeah and so it it basically just stops you from from overheating from sweating uh, in that in that area which you know, takes care of the blushing. So you might right. still have the phobia of of blushing. Like you you might still be stuck in this negative feedback loop about what blushing represents, but right. you're not gonna do it excessively anymore. So it's at least, you know, you are still gonna have the social anxiety about it, but other people aren't going to see the social anxiety anymore. That's so interesting. Is it relatively yeah. common, did they say? It's not, I couldn't find how common it was actually, but there are a lot of, you know, there are kind of a lot of forums and online message boards for people who deal with it. And, you know, that's, that's fascinating. There's there's a support group out there. Just super strange. (laughs) That's a really, that's a really interesting way to look at it. The phobia with a cure. Yeah. You know. Or, or, and like a cure for, for a certain kind of social anxiety. Yeah. I was like, I wish... There was like a surgical intervention for my anxiety. Right, right. I should look Sounds into great. it. Sounds <laughs> great. Yeah. So it's been sort of misdiagnosed and misrepresented, and people definitely tend to think of it as like, oh, it's just a little bit of blushing, like get over it. Right. That's, that is usually how people respond. But <laughs> this academic Wilhelm Steckel in his book, Conditions of the Nervous Society and Their Treatment, which mm-hmm. was published in 1923, he came to the conclusion that, quote, everyone who suffers from erythrophobia has a bad conscience. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, my God. Damn. <laughs> All right. Let's do line of the week. Line of the week. There were some good ones this yeah, week. There were. <laughs> there were some <laughs> my, good one-offs. My personal choice was Meredith's monologue to Derek, where she's telling Derek to stop talking to her as if he's her boyfriend. Don't be sorry. I'm so tired of being sorry. Don't do it. Don't be great. Seriously. Are you concerned about Alex finding out about us? Is that what matters to you? Do you really think he cares? Alex, do you care that I was the intern stupid enough to screw the merit attending? No. It's not okay. You have a wife who's not easy to hate, who's annoyingly kind, and painfully smart and currently saving my friend's life don't stop talking to me like you're my boyfriend stop talking to me at all yeah yeah (laughs) just just destroys him you know i love watching her just rip derek a new asshole every episode i look forward to it in every episode i'm like when's it gonna be when's she gonna just rip him a new one (laughs) you know it's It's great it is it can and she continues to have really sort of poignant beautiful monologues that rip him new assholes, which I, is a great, great And then at the end of this one, Alex just goes, dude, yes. that was rough. Yes. My, my pick has to do with my favorite joke in this entire episode. So the chief wants to come back to work. He's been out, you know, he's been home for a week post-surgery from his, what we just refer to as his eye tumor. And, <laughs> and he's been home and he shows up to work at the very beginning of this episode and he's in the elevator with Derek and he has a a leather fedora on for this is the best way I can describe this hat. And it's not a good hat. And Derek tells the chief, you know, you can't wear that hat. <laughs> or he says the hat's a little much. You can't or he says off. Exactly. <laughs> and and the chief just ignores him. He takes off he like tips the hat to Derek at the end to sort of tease him, like, you don't know what you're talking about. 
And then shortly after the chief walks into his office and Preston Burke is, is Dr. Burke is standing in the office and he's clearing out his things and he's sort of, they're talking and, and Burke's making his way out the door and he's got his box full of stuff and he kind of steps back and pauses and looks at the chief and he says, and uh, chief, the hat, it's a little pimped out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he delivers the line to the chief and you see the chief and he's like, oh, you know, and he just trusts Preston immediately. And what I, I think it's a funny line. It's funny to hear Burke say the words, it's a little pimped out because he's so buttoned up and he's so professional and yeah. polished and things like that, that it's funny to hear him say that. But I love the subtext here, right? That the chief ignores Derek, this white dude who could not be more white, who nobody trusts at all in anything <laughs> that's not brain surgery. And the, and the chief just sort of ignores him and ignores his advice about the hat. And the hat becomes sort of representative, right? And then Burke tells him in this sort of common language, black man to black man, that the, the hat is not doing him any favors. And the chief trusts him and he takes off the yeah. hat and he puts it on his rack. And then it leads to my favorite joke, which is in every single scene for the rest of this episode, the chief is wearing a different hat. He's got like a bowler hat on and then he's got like a paper boy hat on and then he's got a different fedora on. And then it shows him in his office later and he's got this whole rack of hats <laughs> and every time i'm like laughing out loud because it's just so funny for an episode that's so already over the top with its symbols and metaphors like i love the subtext of race that's going on here with this interaction between burke and the chief but i yeah. also just think it's a really funny joke that the chief is just wearing a different hat in every <laughs> single scene <laughs> it's pretty great i mean it's it's a great visual gag and yeah. <laughs> we're always here for a good it's visual such gag. A gag exactly exactly that you might not notice right like unless you're sort of tuned into it it's just really funny i love it but i think i think it you know the the less humorous point is also a point well taken that the relationship and trust between these two black men is important and it's important because it's two powerful black men exactly who, who are sort of isolated in their positions and and so I think anytime the chief and Burke interact, I'm I usually feel that it's a pretty meaningful takeaway. Yeah, similar a lot of to intention. watching the uh, watching the chief interact with Bailey, which happens more right. so as the show goes on. Right. That uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of subtext there about who who they are in this space and in the kind of work that they've had to do that their colleagues haven't. Yeah. Know. There's definitely a palpable sense, particularly when it's as blatant as this, a palpable sense of sort of camaraderie, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is, I think is important. And it's again back to representation and what this show does so well. Yeah, so I love it. It's a good one. Well, that's right? our show. That's our show. <laughs> that is our show for the week. I'm hoping that next week episode, next week's episode is a little more, a few more teardrops. Well, thanks so much for listening. As always, you can check us out online. You can find us on Tumblr, code-grays.tumblr.com. You can also find us on Twitter at code underscore grays underscore. And if you'd like to be involved with the show or you want to give us any feedback, you can definitely shoot us an email, codegrays at gmail.com. And please also consider listening and subscribing to the podcast on either Podbean, our host, or iTunes. If you do listen on iTunes and you like what you're doing, give us a five-star review. We're great. Why wouldn't you? Great. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you guys next week.